Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. He's tattooed. You got him in an 18-wheeler barreling down the highways in North Carolina, perhaps in the buff as a nudist. And then we get into like, well, what what did you do before you became a trucker? You've always been a trucker. No, I was a sheriff's deputy. Sometimes with these opening clips, it's best to get out of the way and let them work as effective teasers without further comment. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Billy Warden is a Raleigh-based marketing executive at GBW Strategies. He's also a writer and a musician. One of his specialties is writing features from a first-person immersive perspective. He's written about his experiences inside a nudist community. And in January, Raleigh, North Carolina's Walter Magazine published his account of how to be a drag queen. Billy, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I tell you, you know, I do a lot of podcasts with people from the Carolinas. They apparently either have interesting stories to tell or they're, you know, interesting journalists. So perhaps something in the water. I don't know. I think it would be, I think it's in the sweet tea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lots in that sweet tea. And maybe some of it makes for good storytelling. But you're right. You know, David Sedaris is from Raleigh, where I am based. And he's just a fantastic first person storyteller. We've had a great newspaper here for decades, the News and Observer, which has churned out some fantastic journalists, including David Zucchino, whose book, Wilmington's Lie, uh, I think won the Pulitzer Prize recently. So so just some, yeah, great folks. Great states for storytelling, North Carolina and South Carolina. Anywho, that's not what we're talking about, although we are talking about your storytelling ability. First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're a marketing executive, and I guess you also do some freelance writing. How did that all come about? Well, I'm just nosy, I guess. I think the through lines would be curiosity and storytelling. So I became a journalist, which is my first love, and I think the greatest job anybody can have, because I was just so curious all the time about what makes people tick and what people are doing and why they're doing it. And did journalism for a number of years, it did transition into marketing eventually pretty much for the same reasons, because I got curious about business. How does it work? How do you persuade people to buy something they never thought about until the last 20 seconds when you introduced it to them? And how do you close that sale? That was always very interesting to me. Very curious about that. It also has to do with telling stories. How do you create a compelling story about this idea, policy initiative, this service, this product? So it's the same thing. It's a combination of curiosity and storytelling, which I'm sure you know you share and and the listeners share out there as well. Yeah, I can't tell you how many uh, journalists that I've spoken to, those who have actually trained as journalists or or those who came, became journalists later in life, you know, changing their careers, they all enjoyed writing. They all enjoyed telling stories and they're all very curious about things. I guess curiosity is, is probably the first skill that drives a lot of us. So in that vein of my curiosity about you and, and your experiences. So, you know, you don't write exclusively in first person perspective, but you know, how did you come to this is, is something that you really kind of enjoy doing. Yeah, I think it had to do with rock and roll. My first 
introduction to journalism, frankly, was when I was like a middle schooler and loved rock and roll music and in my voraciousness to know more about the bands and you know who these rock gods were, began reading Rolling Stone and Cream magazine and the like and and came upon first person writers like Hunter Thompson, you know, the famous gonzo journalist who wrote entirely in first person, often, you know, and often under the influence. So it was, you know, a very psychedelic experience. That's that's not what I do. But Hunter Thompson was certainly an early introduction to that style. And then at that time, which you may remember, like in the in the late 70s, there was a, a lot of rock journalism was about the personal experience. Like even if it was the rock critic writing about his or her personal experience, you know, with a Led Zeppelin at the new Led Zeppelin album at midnight and how that all unfolded for them, that became their review of that Led Zeppelin album. And so it sort of opened the door that, oh, I could, I can write about personal experience and interpretation. And then I actually, my first job in journalism was as a pop music critic, I guess. So I got to satisfy lots of curiosity about the pop world. The only thing I didn't like about that job was like the judgment part about it, that I would get a record and I would plunge into this record to listen to and review and, you know, find it like so interesting, the songs and the sentiments and how they put together the the music. But then I'd have to pass judgment on it. And like, I wasn't at all interested in the judgment part. I just wanted to, I just enjoyed the experience and sharing the experience. And, and that kind of led into, you know, can I do immersive things and not pass judgment on it? That's not the end goal, but rather just share the experience. Okay. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And I had similar experiences for how I got into journalism. You know, I got interested in things that I I started writing about things that I was interested in, you know, movies, comics, and things like that, and sought out places where I could write those type of stories. And I had some of, some of a, a similar experience in the sense that, you know, early on, you know, what could I bring that was different? And it would be my perspective. And so it was more me writing about my feelings and thoughts about something and less about being a, you know, hard edge critic who's dissecting something deeply. That seemed to be something for other people. That type of writing is probably a, an entree for a lot of people when they get down to it. So, you know, we're going to be talking about your article that ran in Raleigh in, in January uh, about you becoming a drag queen. But, you know, this was not your first first person narrative. Tell me about some of the other experiences you, you had and, and wrote about. I mean, one of my favorites was entering the pro wrestling ring. I mean, I'm from the South, Michael. That was the way you let in. And so it just makes sense that I would be a big time pro wrestling fan. You cannot live in the South and not encounter pro wrestling. Ric Flair, of course, iconic in North Carolina, the nature boy, like 17 time world champion. So I had always been exposed to pro wrestling from being a little tyke and always was fascinated by you know, who are these people who come out in, in these fantastic costumes and do these fantastic raps on the microphone and then get into this little ring and bounce around, bounce their 250 pound frames all around and, and knock into each other. And what is that world like? And so I think that was, that's gotta be up there as a very, very favorite experience. And so, you know, if you, if we were on camera, 
you'd see that I'm not anywhere near 250 pounds. You're, you're a bit wiry for a, yeah. uh, for a, yeah. for a professional yeah. wrestler. Yeah, twig-like. <laughs> the professional wrestler would use you to floss his teeth, I think. Or her. <laughs> yeah, she, would, she, she could also floss your teeth. Yeah, I became a wrestling manager. So the way around that was, I, well, I'll be one of those evil genius managers whose job it is to get the crowd so angry that it becomes a distraction to the referee so that the bad guy wrestler I represent and I can sabotage the good guy unbeknownst to the referee and, and win the match. So, you know, that's what we did. And, and it was so fascinating for your job to be, I'm going to make all the people in this big room so upset that they want to tear me limb from limb. You know, that's not what most of us do during the day is try to make people so angry. They want to break me over, over their knee. And, the first person often gives you the immersive experience, gives you this opportunity to do things you'd never do in your regular life and then have the benefit of getting to go back to your regular life. So tell me about the process of that then, you know, cause you've done a number of different things, you know, how does that come about? I mean, what's your, what's your strategy? Do you get the idea and then you sort of figure out a way that you can make that happen and enlist helpers in some way? How do you do that? Yeah, it not this always like every journalist, whether they're first person or investigative or whatever, working on any kind of longer run story, you know, has to figure out a way into it to get people's confidence, to get people talking, to allow people allow them into the world. So I generally have like four or five things that I'm really personally interested in, find fascinating, want to experience, and that I think other people would be interested in because of, you know, indicators like things on television or, you know, just water cooler conversations about or what's going on in current events. And then just, I mean, scour the internet, you know, as a journalist yourself, I mean, the internet is just changes everything. The fact that you can find people on Facebook and Instagram that you might not have emails for and certainly don't know in person and can't find a telephone number for. You can find all kinds of folks and then, you know, start that process of trying to build a relationship. This is something I want to do. And here's why it has nothing to do with wanting to uncover something nefarious about you or ridicule you. You know, that's that's kind of the first line of defense people have is, you know, what's your motive? Why, why me? And what am I risking by getting involved in you, with you? And you have to overcome that first line of, uh, you know, I don't know. And I have found that the, the best way to do that is just that sincere, deep interest in how this person is living his or her life and how they came to their particular vocation or passion, you know, to go in as a good actor in this, wanting to share with the rest of the world what it's like for a fellow outsider. That's really interesting because, you know, you talked, for example, about, you know, wrestling. And I mean, there are some, I don't know what you would call them. There are some secrets around you know, what they do, or I should say, maybe not secrets, or there are truths that they keep within themselves that they don't share with people who are not part of wrestling. 
Well put. You must be a writer. <laughs> in order for them to ma- maintain that mystique. And it's like, I guess, like a magician. You, don't, you know, the magician doesn't want to tell, you know, have all of their tricks laid out there because you, you kind of lose the magic of the performance. So you got to get figure out a way to get beyond that that barrier. You sort of, you know, going to them and, and dealing with them directly and, you know, just being open and honest about what your intentions are seem to work in most cases. Yeah, it really has. Well, I mean, there's a few that I've been working on for a long time, trying to find the right person. And I don't want to give them away what these subjects are because, you know, if they do come to fruition, they're, they're going to be so much fun. But, you know, one of them involves trying to find these meetup groups that are interested in this subject. And the only way I have, once I find a meetup group to communicate with them is to go to the organizer of the meetup via the meetup platform and introduce myself or to actually show up at a meetup, you know, on this one particular area that I really want to do, all the meetup organizers have been, you know, reluctant. And so now I'm kind of weighing like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I just show up at one of the meetups. I mean, it's listed here where and when it is. Maybe I just show up and the face-to-face will help. So that's to be determined, you know, whether or not, well, we'd really rather you not come Then, well, should I come? Maybe I'll have to do that. We'll see how it turns out. But for the most part, yeah, I think, you know, finding those people saying, you're the person I, I want to talk to, I've researched you, you're the person, you know, won't you talk to me? Oh, well, maybe, I don't know. Okay, let it, let a couple of days pass. Please, really, won't you talk to me? You know, and just keep going to them. They generally say yes. And it's funny, I've had experiences like that in covering different types of stories. Certainly not anything immersive or anything about it, but you know, sometimes people don't, they don't trust you. They're afraid that, you know, that you're going to do something harmful to them or, or threaten them in some way, or even in the other ways, I don't know why you're interested in this. This isn't that <laughs> very interesting because they don't necessarily see why somebody from the outside would view it as fascinating. And that thinking that that perspective, you know, having other people wear those shoes and experiencing it might be something that a lot of people would be curious about. That's a great point. I got both of those reactions kind of on the doing the nudist story. You know, the first reaction was, you know, I don't know why you want to come so bad or what you think is going to happen. Like, you know, I mean, you must be naked when you take your shower. It's like, it's not unlike that, you know? And then, so there was that, we're not so different kind of a thing. Why are you interested? And then there was, well, you know, are you coming to make fun of us or portray this lifestyle as somehow freaky? You know, that was really the reason why, in addition to doing the immersive stories, to be allowed into the two nudist venues that we covered, you know, the photographer and I had to be also on natural. And so it necessarily was an immersive experience. But when I wrote that piece, and I think all the journalists out there or storytellers will appreciate this. That piece, if you read it now, it's not a particularly an I story, you know, the capital I, me. The drag queen story is very much an I story because the structure of it is I've got five weeks to become a performing drag queen. I've never done anything like this. And so it gives it sort of a ticking clock structure. You know, that all works storytelling wise. But on the nudist experience, when I got there and I was naked in these two environments, one of which was outdoors with a bunch of people, which didn't really feel all that strange to me 
for whatever reasons. And then the other experience was at a, a series of nudist kind of house events that travel around a city because they don't, you know, they can't buy land. It's cost prohibitive. So they just have nudist naturist house parties. And you know, that felt a little more, you know, the confined space made that maybe more uncomfortable and interesting to think about. But when I was doing the story at the resort, I was like, I'm so tired of being out there naked in the field in the sun with the mosquitoes. And I was like, so, <laughs> so ready to get back in the car and go back home. Like, okay, I did this reporting. And the photographer said, well, I took a picture of this guy over here, Dwayne. I don't think I saw you talking to him. So you, you want to talk to him? To him. <laughs> and, you know, so, okay, I'll go over this. But this is it. Then we're out. I'm going to talk. I'll get his name and some information for him. And then we're out of here. It's going to take 10 seconds. And I went over and he said, Hello, what's your name? I'm Dwayne. What do you do? I'm a truck driver. Really? And do you ever truck drive without clothes? Are you never nudist in the truck? Oh, yeah, most of the time. Well, okay. <laughs> so now you got this this guy with, you know, he's, he's tattooed. You got him in an 18-wheeler barreling down the highways in North Carolina, perhaps in the buff as a nudist. And then we get into like, well, what, what did you do before you became a trucker. You've always been a trucker. No, I was a sheriff's deputy. Really? You were a sheriff's deputy. And how did you come to nudism? Well, because I, I would come home from these awful days of being a sheriff's deputy where I would see the worst of the world, terrible sadness. And I just found so much relief in stepping in the door and taking everything off and just shedding all that. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to be in the lead of this story. Any storyteller is going to know you just met your lead. And so the first person, you know, immersive story. Yep. I was out there naked with the photographer and all that. But I met somebody who really allowed it to be more of a traditional story with this element that this is happening to me, too. And I can comment on it. That's pretty fascinating. I can identify with the fact of God, how many, how many, how many really good stories and good interviews I got as I was walking back to the car or <laughs> yeah. something last minute, you know, yeah, I got everything I need. And then something that somebody you just talked to and get engaged in and, and suddenly it turns into something much bigger. So let's talk a little bit about the story that, that's running in Walter or ran in Walter in, in January. Uh, the one about being the drag queen, you already mentioned you gave yourself a, a ticking clock, which is always a good thing. Where did the idea come from and how did you sort of make it happen? Yeah. So I wanted to do this story because for one thing, to go back to one of your earlier questions, like, well, you know, what makes a good story? You know, clearly drag is a pop culture phenomenon, right? So then it makes it easier to take to the editor and say, here's something I want to try and all the readers will have heard of this and may be intrigued or want to know more about it. So, you know, drag was right in there. I felt like in North Carolina, you know, there's been some controversy around acceptance of the LGBTQ community. And I, you know, I felt like I want to do a piece where I can get close to some folks in this community and explore their world in a way that is interesting and allows other people to enter that world too because in the first person you're kind of the every man or every person rather you know right you are representing 
Every reader that is not part of whatever community you're going in to get immersive with, you're kind of carrying them with you. And so I thought, yeah, this is this would be really interesting and, and worthwhile. And then set about to ask people, like, I want to do this and I'm going to need someone who's really patient to be my guide in this world. And it was tough to get to find someone who was willing to jump right into it. You know, if some folks were reluctant to get involved, some folks maybe who were drag performers liked the idea and enough people liked the idea that I felt like it was a good idea from that standpoint too, but didn't have time. But then I lucked into this fantastic performer, Kayla Lachey, who could not have been a better coach for this. And in the story, uh, it, it matched up really well because as you point out, Michael, to get into these stories, the first person story, you generally need somebody to kind of godfather you into that community, be your guide into that community. And in the drag world, when a, a drag performer is just beginning, the smart ones will grab onto a drag mother in quotes. So drag mothers are always bringing up drag children who are the, the, the next generation of drag queens, right? And that's built into this community. And so Kayla became my drag mother for this story, this you know extremely accelerated process of going from zero to performing as a drag queen. And Kayla is great and was so patient. And I went to uh, Kayla's house and into the wardrobe room where Kayla makes her own her own costumes, right? Because the fit is not always right for a drag queen and buying the stuff off the rack is not really a possibility. You know, produced my costume, we produced my character, coached me also with the help of another drag queen named Emery Starr. And that was just a great team effort. And I think that a lot of who they are is in that story. And because of who they are and how generous they were and what they shared, that story achieved the objective of this is going to be an interesting look at how to become a drag queen. And it's going to be entertaining in that regard. And it's going to be a moving human interest piece because you're going to get to know some of these people. That's something I didn't even really kind of think about, but it's sort of true with the um, the sheriff's deputy you, you had interviewed with the other story, but because your drag mother was, you know, you're a child. It's a different type of relationship that you have. You know, if you sat down and just interviewed her, you know, she probably would have given you different answers or maybe they'd be the same answers, but she wouldn't be giving you to them in, in the same way. And when you get that sort of personal level, I mean, the fact that the the police or the, the sheriff had, had opened up and showed his, you know, his inner life was because, you know, you came up to him and you were naked. You're experiencing the same thing that, that he is. And it's almost like taking a barrier down. Yeah, it, I love the way you put that, because as you've mentioned, I've done lots of different kind of journalism and certainly kind of traditional journalism where you're not in it. You're not somehow immersed in it or embedded in it. And right, you know, seeing, say, for example, Kayla and Emery, us think through a crisis together and how we do that is different than them telling me how they came up with their character or challenges they faced. It's just different. And, and me being, being able to report first person what it's like to wear heels and how, 
you know, the whole world there, I was so confident. We had my character together. The wig was there, you know, coming together. And then I tried heels on for the first time and the whole world becomes jello and I'm bouncing around in this <laughs> giant casserole dish of jello. You know, that's different than, you know, having Kayla tell me that the first time she tried heels, it was difficult. So yeah, I think that I really like the way you put that, that the barriers come down. People do kind of share more. There's, and there's a different kind of interaction that is worthwhile. Yeah. And I think that's something that the audience can cue into and maybe is one of the reasons why there are podcasts out there, for example, that are first person podcasts, that type of storytelling, something about it, you get rid of, get rid of sort of that reportorial structure and you just sort of get down to the, the bones of, of what you're trying to, to tell. And you don't have to like, go through some sort of artificial, you know, construction. You've got five weeks to make yourself a drag queen. You've got five weeks to get yourself up on, on a pair of heels and on a stage. So what, what was the climax of this that you, you, you performed? Well, that was going to be the natural climax to it. And the performance was intense. And I hope it's written. I hope it comes across as intense in the way, the way it's written, how terrifying it was how utterly bewildering, how confusing, everything was a blur. You know, I was trying to do these moves that I had just been taught, you know, in some cases a couple hours before, you know, trying to figure out how to take the tips and how to flirt and how to lip sync at the same time. I mean, it was in my mind, it was just chaos. And then the drag show is so popular itself that Kayla produces every month that it was just packed. Like, you know, there was a little runway or of performing and then there was was standing room only and all these faces often very skeptical because they're like who is this character this debbie delirious i've never heard of this drag queen and really i think there's a reason why <laughs> based on the quality i was able to project you know it was very intense but that didn't turn out to be the climax or the end of the piece rather but another thing about these first person articles is that it's fascinating to talk to your friends about it or to have people, you know, oh, what do you what are you working on? Oh, I'm doing this piece about, you know, nudism or whatever. Get some really interesting reactions. And it helps you kind of figure out this is what people think about this and want to know. And it will inform how I write the piece. But what happened at the drag thing was I had done this crazy five-week boot camp to become a drag queen and perform that way in this super chaotic, terrifying night at this club called the green monkey and afterwards i was at a party you know dressed in my j crew you know men's suit and back to being you know who i am most of the time and this person came up to me who i knew and had his phone out and he was like oh hey i gotta tell you there's this person named debbie delirious who says she knows you and i've got a video of her would you like to see it and so he had been at the performance and my reaction at the party there in my you know suit and everything was you know not really i was trying to trying to brush him off like you know i don't really want to relive it all sam and then he put his phone away and said well you know i just want to say that i love kayla and when i first came out or was thinking about coming out i didn't want anything to do with drag queens and I thought they were just fringy and I didn't want people to associate me with the fringe. And I tried to stay as far away as them from them as I could until I started going to the shows. And I just was amazed by their confidence, by they were being who they wanted to be. And it totally changed me. 
And I go to all their shows now. And anyway, you know, good job giving it a try. And so that became the end. You know, to me, that was like, yes, right. These these folks have been on the fringe for decades. And now they are, you know, more into the heart of pop culture. They're having a pop culture moment. But there's this human drama in that, that this guy had, to me, perfectly kind of summed up the arc of what the drag queen journey was like. And so the climax wasn't the the big thunderous moment, the chaotic show, but this very quiet moment with somebody who, who wanted to share something, who wasn't a main character in the story, but who said something from the heart that kind of brought it all together. Yeah, and what's amazing about that is that you probably wouldn't have had that conversation, or maybe you, maybe you would, but perhaps you wouldn't if you hadn't gone through that experience. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Yep. Which goes to your your point just a little while ago about how how that first person, how that immersive technique is different than the traditional style and and sometimes yields some really interesting results. Now, how do you pitch things like this? I mean, is it, do you have regular you have a regular column or regular publications that you pitch to or do you sort of come up with the idea and then do a pitch on it or you try to sell the idea to somebody? What's your process? And that's a great question because there is a lot of, you know, fantastic publications out there that just don't want first person pieces. It's just not in the wheelhouse. You know, there's still something about the first person piece, I think, to some editors that it just doesn't resonate with them for whatever reason. And I've been super lucky to find Walter magazine has been really open to it and very receptive to it. And I think for anybody who wants to try it, you know, because I find it, you know, super exciting and fulfilling. The big important thing is to get that first piece done. And I think it's hard to sometimes maybe convince an editor that they ought to take a chance on this unless they see it, because, well, what are they going to get? Are they going to get like something kind of snarky? You know, they might not want something kind of snarky. Are they going to get something that's kind of like, you know, it's kind of interesting, but it doesn't have much drama built into it or entertainment value. What are they going to get? And so having a piece that they could look at, even if you write it just for yourself and never gets published, but you just do it, that can be really helpful because the tone of them, of these pieces, in my experience, is, is so important. Like the editor over at Walter, you know, the tone of them to be curious and humane about it, you know, not snarky, not stunty, like, look at this crazy stunt. That's not really what it's about. I think it, it can drift that way. And I really appreciate the editor saying, let's be careful of that, right? And sometimes reeling things in. So that's my approach is to be very clear about what the style is going to be. Like anything, lead in with like, essentially saying everyone's going to want to read this because this is a fascinating world and doing it first person is going to make it even more vivid. You can't afford to turn your back on this because everyone's going to be talking about this and you want to be the publication that runs it. One of the things, uh, you know, in my experience with journalism, and it took me a long time to, to really kind of realize it is because so often you get sort of caught up in this idea. I've got to report this story. I got to report this story. And, you know, one of the reasons you get involved in, the, in this type of career is you, you know, you want to tell stories, you want to write things, you want to express yourself, you want to go and see different, different things and meet different types of people. And so what you're kind of doing is, is almost like pure experience. 
that if you're able to write something, you're able to do something and, you know, hopefully get something out of it that you can sell. And certainly you seem to have confidence that that's something that you're going to be able to do. At the very least, you're going to walk away with an experience that, that enriches you, even if you don't sell it. But if you can sell it, you should be, <laughs> if you're a good writer, you should be able to figure something out. Yeah. I mean, that's just worth hammering home. What you just said is that these experiences are fulfilling on their own. Like, you know, I'm a better person for having done the drag story, like, you know, and a better person for the conversations people will have with me about that. The conversations that people will have about the nudist story, about how they think about their own bodies. Like they read that story and they thought about why does the thought of being naked in front of other people get me so, give me the heebie-jeebies, like, you know, those yeah. conversations. What's your problem? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, what's your problem? Why can't you just take your clothes off like the rest of the people here? Why do you feel so bad? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And then people come up with really interesting theories. Like, you know, one person said about the nudism thing when I was talking about that, I think that we're all jealous. And I was like, well, I was thinking in terms of body type. And I was thinking like, no, I mean, these body types aren't really like fashion magazine things like that. That's what I thought they were saying. But then they continued and said, you know, we're jealous that here's a group of people that can totally shrug off convention and go and be merry in their own way. And, you know, even when I show up at a party, I'm nervous about what people are thinking about me. And that was just it's a really interesting perspective on kind of modern life that I'm glad that I had that conversation, regardless of, you know, that the fact that the article was well received. Yeah. How do you live your life? You know, you know, have an experience in your life where you're not being judged. Your own insecurities aren't sort of clouding whatever it is you're trying to do in your life. So even if, you know, and I think maybe that at the bottom line, you know, we, uh, our audience are, are journalists, you know, bottom line is, is do a story like this. Um, you know, have an experience like this, you know, even if it's not something that you turn into a career, I mean, you know, how it's going to, like, like you say, how it's going to change your attitude and your perspective and enrich you. Billy, this is fascinating stuff. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for reaching out. Just so everybody know, if you've got an interesting story about that you want to talk about, about journalism, about the way you do your stories, do what Billy did. Send us a really great email. You had a really great pitch. I always react to really good pitches. And it was clear that you had a story to tell. And we just found out that you really had to express yourself so people are, are entertained. Billy, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, Michael, I'm coming to your house next week to do the podcast for an immersive story. So we'll get that all worked out. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I love It's All Journalism and all the journalists out there. It's God's work and it's the best work. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, google play and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found if you'd like to help us grow our podcast like and share our episodes on social media look for us on facebook instagram and twitter it takes a lot of people to create an episode of it's all journalism 
Nicola Grisco produced this episode, Amber Healy wrote our web content, Nick Capre wrote our theme music, Emilio Brust helped with our booking, Steph Thomas is our social media manager, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.